This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest is a school teacher specialising in IT, technology and science, Clayton Wimshurst. Clayton has largely taught primary school, but has also taught overseas for 20 years. 21 years this year, to be exact. We talk about the reality of the amount of work involved in teaching, the inspiring moldability of children's minds. Plus, I ask a dumb question. Is there such thing as a dumb question? I think that I really want to connect with students and give them an opportunity to actually find their strengths. And for me, the students who have struggles in their life are really a great opportunity to connect and and help them get through their challenges and to create a better future for them and for the entirety of society. That may seem a little cliched, but that's kind of actually how I feel. With a career that spans over 20 years, first thing was first. Did Clayton always want to be a teacher? I wanted to be a chef when I was really young, but at about the age of 13, I realised that I actually really enjoyed working with younger students than myself at the time. So I thought about it and decided I actually wanted to be a teacher more than a chef, which actually works out fine because I could not do chef's hours. So, so from about the age of 13, and I was actually really embarrassed to start off as well. It was like the teachers were like talking to people what they wanted to be when they grow up. At one-on-one, it wasn't like a big thing. And I was just like, I want to be a teacher. <laughs> and like... It was really embarrassing to want to say that, and now I love it, so it's all good. How come it was embarrassing for you? I think because I know teaching was seen as a goody-goody sort of job, I think, whereas other people like all these other cool jobs, and so many of my friends are now teachers from high school as well. They, they became teachers as well, so it's not like it was a, a unique thing. But I was just embarrassed because I was, I was a pretty good student anyway, so to say, oh, now I want to be a teacher, was it felt too goody-goody. <laughs> so from 13 years of age you were like I'm going to be a teacher yes and I did a lot of things around that so I did all my work experience working in schools and wanted to get to know the profession and had a lot of success and a lot of good feedback even at that age just going in I then sort of went into childcare as babysitting to start off with and then more formal childcare to sort of get that experience up and so I've always kind of wanted to work with students in some capacity and children in some capacity and it's just been a great opportunity Now, you wanted to be a chef periodically before you became a teacher. Mm. Are you now a good cook? Would you consider yourself a good cook? I am actually a pretty good cook. Um, Yeah, okay. I I love to cook. I don't put as much time in as as I I used to because, you know, life has got busy. But I actually really enjoy cooking and I can actually whip up a pretty good meal. Nice! That was was so humble. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. So while Clayton still enjoys cooking and isn't too bad at it, Things did change and he made the move to teaching and hasn't looked back. I asked whether in his teaching career he's seen things change. Oh, so much. When I started teaching, it was very, these so very differently set programs and um, what we called early years back then and, and students working in certain ways. And now it's sort of changed. It's much more data driven. So it's always been a lot of testing and stuff, but not like it is now. It's very much making sure we know exactly where every student is and then teaching to their point of need using differentiation and so changing what we teach and how we teach it to suit the needs of individual students or small groups of students who who have similar needs and stuff. It's a lot more full on now. Like when I first started teaching, it was fairly relaxed, but now it is intense. 
Really? In what ways? Just having to keep up with all of the marking and stuff? Uh, all the marking, all the sort of preparation for lessons, uh, all the testing, like the testing takes up a huge amount of stuff. And in, to differentiate between marking and testing, testing has is a bit more formal and is much more feeds what you teach, whereas marking is giving kids feedback. So, which does feed what you teach, but not to the same capacity. So I, I find that they talk about teachers' workloads and stuff being quite large, and I have to completely agree. It, it is a lot. But having said that, we get paid really well. So, <laughs> yeah. So there is an intensity that comes with the changes. What about technology? Has Clayton seen this change as well? Yeah, I started off with one computer in my classroom in my first year of teaching. And Wild. Yeah, and all the students hate to use that one computer, including me, actually. And over the time, it's actually just changed in, you know, I can't even think how long ago, but we actually started having one-on-one devices. So every student has a device in, in the school that I currently work at. So every child can access an iPad. Other schools have every child can do a laptop. It just depends on the school. But technology is a huge part of what we do. And it's my passion as well. So I've been a leader in technology for a few years and sort of changing the way we do things from not just being typing up your work on, a, on an iPad, but actually, uh, or a computer, but finding a way to actually enhance the activity by bringing in multimedia and what we call multimodal texts. So bringing in images, videos, speech, all sorts of things into the one production and creating a much more engaging environment. Earlier, we learnt that Clayton specialises in IT, technology and science. Surely those subjects were particularly hard to teach 20 years ago. You said earlier that IT and science and that sort of thing is your forte, what you teach. Yes. Were you, was it much more difficult 20 years ago when you had one computer to try and teach IT especially? It was basically impossible. There was like <laughs> a tiny little bit, oh, you could go type it in the computer, but just write your name on the list and... We'll do that in six weeks when it's time for you to get on the computer. Crazy. Um, but, yeah, it, was, it wasn't quite that bad. It was a bit of exaggeration, but still. <laughs> um, but now, like, I kind of make IT a part of almost every lesson in some way. Kids still need to write on paper and stuff, but I don't have as much sort of feeling that the kids need to do it as often as they used to. I think the way that we actually work in the world is very computer orientated, and I think education should reflect that. What would you say your teaching style is? Do you have a teaching style? I think I have a teaching style. I think always my number one thing is to make a really, really, really relaxed classroom. I try to take out as much formality from it as possible. I have rules and expectations and all those sorts of things, but I try not to make it too strict or too what the rule is the law sort of thing, but actually make kids feel comfortable and that they can talk to me, that they can learn in the capacity that suits them. And also really making sure that the work is engaging and not the not worksheets and things like that, but actually real life as possible. So getting out there and trying stuff. And if you're writing a letter to someone, write it to a real person. Don't just write a pretend letter. Find a, find a cause you're passionate about and write a letter to that cause, to someone who's involved in that cause or is the background issue of that cause. So that real real life capacity is really important. And hands-on maths, so learning through maths, like not doing worksheets, but actually giving those opportunities to, you know, if you want to teach money, get the kids to online shop for an outfit for their graduation. So you're getting all that authenticity. Mm, yeah. I always, when I was at school and had to do maths, like I had to, it was compulsory. Makes sense. But yeah, sure I, always, I always was like, like when am I ever going to use algebra? Like this is dumb. There's no point. <laughs> Oh, look, I ask those questions as a teacher. So. 
<laughs> when are the kids ever gonna have to use this <laughs> when are they actually going to use a number tree in their real life yeah um, so, totally yeah. It's clear that Clayton is extremely passionate about teaching and puts a lot of time and energy into ensuring he's the best teacher he can be, with strong emphasis on real-world skills and training. With this in mind, why does he think that teaching is important? We kind of think about kids and stuff as being the, the, the next generation, which is actually just really true. And I think that's why teaching is important, because if kids don't get the access to the education then we don't, won't have doctors in the future we won't have other teachers we won't have lawyers all the things that actually make our society function and even though you know i i don't have any kids of my own i still want to help other kids so that when i'm 90 i've actually got a good doctor because those kids have had the opportunity to grow up and learn and become a really functioning part of society so even if you don't have kids we need kids because um, otherwise we won't have future generations. Okay, I don't think any of us had any doubt that teaching the future generations is important. But let's get down to the nitty gritty of teaching. It seems like hard work. Is it? Clayton explains. Let's start with the day. So I would normally get to school around about eight o'clock and which time I would finalize my prep. I've already planned uh, the previous week for what I'm doing. Usually those plans never stick to plan. You change them up and go, okay, that didn't work. Let's try it this way. So I'm setting things up. If it's an experiment, I'm getting stuff out for an experiment. If it's laptops, I'm getting laptops out and getting those ready and all those sort of things. Then you actually teach your lessons. So usually I'll have four lessons in a day, sometimes five. So each lesson changes. So once you've got through one lesson, you don't have a break in between to change to the next lesson. You have to be able to switch it up straight away. So you might go from maths to English or English to maths and just have to keep it moving without actually any break to go, okay, I'm going to change the materials. This stuff goes away. This stuff comes out. There's mm -hmm. no time for that. Recess, you usually have some sort of yard duty or watching kids. Then more lessons, which again, there's no time to set up in between. Lunch break, often yard duty, so things like that. Then sort of getting towards the end of the day, you might have an hour for planning, but usually that's taken up by planning for the following, for the next week. So there's not really much time to kind of just chill. And then after school, there's usually some sort of meeting where you have to go and get ready for the following week. And then I tend to go home at that point because I'd actually just rather do more work at home, but I will come home and, and go through my plans for the next day and finish off anything I've done, do some marking, that sort of stuff. I'd just rather do that at home than at work. And the week doesn't look too much different to that. It's And then the weekend, I'm usually planning still for the week ahead because it takes a long time to just write those planning documents that are legally required. They're, they're quite big and trying to get it all in and trying to plan for every single student in a class of 28 is a lot. So you have to do a special form for each lesson that you're teaching? Yes, so it's not a huge long form. It's a section in what we call a work program. So it has it takes up about probably a, a quarter of a page per lesson if you divide the page into into four or five pieces. So, but it has all the information that that a person who is not you could come in and therefore teach the lesson. So, wow. If we had a relief teacher, they have to be coming and be able to read that and go, okay, I know what to do. So if it was just for me, it would be really easy because I, I, I've experienced enough to be able to just give it a go. It's a long document, sometimes 14 pages. So like, it's a lot. How many hours a week, like outside of actually school time, do you reckon you're marking? And I'd probably say I spend about 10 hours a week outside of school doing other things. So my official working week is about 38 hours. So I probably all up spend probably about 48-ish. So it's a lot, which is why the holidays are so nice, because <laughs> you really do need that break. There's a lot of work involved in teaching, but it seems very rewarding. I asked Clayton what the best parts of teaching are. 
I think without any question, it's actually seeing the kids be able to do something that they never thought they would be able to do. Students often just get this idea like, I'm never going to be good at this. I'm never going to be able to do this. And so we work on that growth mindset and say, well, I, you can't do that, but you can't do it yet. So let's move on. Let's create that yet and turn that into, I can do this now. And when the kids actually do that, you just the look of excitement on their face, like, oh, wow, I actually thought I could never do this and I can do it now. And that is absolutely, without question, the major upside to teaching. Being able to see that progression. Definitely. It's um, it's just so nice and, and, and just makes you actually feel this is worth it. Because there's lots of days when it's not worth it. So There's much about teaching that keeps Clayton inspired and connected. But what about the not-so-great parts? So trying to get control of some classes is really hard because you have students who um, have traumatic backgrounds and other things that actually just make school a real challenge for them but then they end up disrupting the lesson for other students and that that is the biggest challenge is trying to keep a class control keeping that I don't want to be yelling at kids for being naughty or doing the wrong thing I want to be able to actually connect with them and say we need to work together to change your behavior so that is the challenge also just the, the amount of paperwork I actually I love working with kids I hate paperwork so I definitely think that is a massive issue is trying to deal with all the paperwork because it's kind of sometimes like working two different jobs like you've got your working with kids job and then you've got your paperwork job that's really hard work what about your working relationship or your relationship with parents like can that be complicated and I actually think it's the most complicated part of the job because parents are such a mixed bag much more than kids are so it's a real challenge with some parents to sort of make connections with them in order to help their child. Some parents uh, want things done a certain way and if you don't do it that way, they'll complain and whatever else. And generally schools are really supportive with the teacher saying, well, actually the teacher's doing this for this reason and it's very rare for a school to actually be upset with the teacher for doing the wrong thing because they haven't. It's just that some parents interpret it differently to what they expect. But it's the parents who don't want to help their own child that are the biggest challenge of all and there's unfortunately far more of them than we'd like. I have spent quite a bit of time sort of working with kids whose parents are just disengaged from their lives and or engaged in the wrong way and sometimes it's simple as I have kids to come to school without the right food without any food at all and sort of working to try and find them some food within the school or buy them lunch and those sort of things that's really hard and it makes my relationship with parents really challenging because you have to talk to the parents about that and sometimes you don't have to report parents to the Department of Human Services and that is without question the hardest part of the job. So why does Clayton continue to teach if the hours can be long and there are some struggles? I think the rewards outweigh the cost. So the experiences with kids around their achievements and those kids I talked about with trauma backgrounds changing the way that they behave over time from being disruptive to class to being a really active participant in the class, those rewards are far outweigh any negative that I experience in teaching. And uh, that's why I do it, 100%. Considering how rewarding Clayton finds teaching, I wondered whether he himself had been positively affected by a teacher in his life. I had quite a few over my years, but I think one teacher who, just the way that she worked so hard to engage with students and she, I, I was a bit of a weird kid, a bit of a weird adult to be honest, but um, I, she definitely sort of took the time to make me feel a part of the group, a part of the class, part of the school. And she taught lessons that I actually steal ideas from to this day. So just really fun ways to teach writing and English and things like that. And I, I steal those ideas from her and I still use them. And that's the type of impact that she had. A good teacher will actually stay with a student forever. And I, I kind of hope that that happens with me, that I stick with students for a long time as well. 
Speaking of connecting, has Clayton experienced a moment or moments that validate what he does? Yeah, absolutely. I had a student who, when I, I first had her in grade four, and she was considered to be one of the biggest challenges in the school. And I said, look, I, I, I really want to give it a go and see if she can work for me. And we did that. And we just end up having such a successful year that the decision was made for her, for me and her to stay together. So I followed her up for the next two years and ended up teaching her for three years in a row because we had such a successful relationship. But the big thrill out of that was that when I first got her, her reading was actually quite low. And by the time she left me, because we'd been able to work through so many of those trauma issues for her and make her feel like she was a productive member of class, she actually was now reading two years of, ahead of the expected level because wow. she had those opportunities. So that for me really resonated. And I moved her not because I taught her any better, but because I allowed her to feel like she was a student and that she was not the naughty girl and those sort of things. So that's what worked for her. And we just had such success with her. Is she still in primary school or has she? Uh, no, she'd be um, probably towards the end of high school. Now I haven't seen or spoken to her for a long time because she did move away after she finished school. So I'm sure um, she's killing it though. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure <laughs> she's just doing so much better. Look, I think a few years ago she did try to friend me on Facebook, but my personal policies don't allow me to connect to students. On Makes Facebook, sense. So, yeah. That <laughs> does, I guess, reiterate that you did have a significant impact. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and I look, I absolutely miss working with her because I, I think out of my entire 20-year career, she is absolutely my biggest success story. That's so cool. With success in his teaching practice and a tangible ability to help students and years of experience, I asked Clayton what he would tell someone who wanted to become a teacher. Make sure you go and try before you buy because it is definitely not a career that's for everybody. So getting someone opportunity to just, when you're in high school, work experience, go and do that work experience. If you're past that point, then just talking to someone you know who's a teacher and look and say, hey, can I just come and spend a bit of time in your classroom? They'll have to run it through their principal, but try it out because it is not for everybody. You're teaching practice where you actually, while you're training, you go into a classroom, you try it out. That will give you a really good idea. But sometimes people get to that point and have done a year of study and are suddenly in a classroom like, but wait, this is not for me. So giving it a try, working with kids, do some childcare, whatever you like, but make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. I wish I had have spoken to you many years ago when I did a year of education and then got into <laughs> the classroom and realized it was not for me. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, it's not doesn't mean that you're bad at teaching. It just means that there's other things that are right for you. Definitely. Like if you have, if you enjoy it, if the working with kids makes you feel joy, like that whole Mori Kondo thing, then go for it and give it a try. If it doesn't work out, there are other things that your degree will take you into if you need to, but make sure you're comfortable. And when you feel like you're comfortable, give it a go. And the uni, uni's fun, no matter what. I, I loved uni in whatever you think your uni life while you're teaching is like, when you actually get into the classroom, it is a lot harder. I have a lot of student teachers like, oh, I've just got so much work and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just going, uh-huh, yeah, cool. That's great. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy that while it lasts. Uh, and, and being a student is hard. I, I get that, but I was one too once. But it gets harder. So. <laughs> <laughs> great, perfect. Um, I, I don't like to sugarcoat anything. Like, you know, it's not an easy career. It's a great career, but it's not an easy one. Does Clayton think he'll be teaching forever? I could see myself teaching till retirement, at least, maybe not forever, but um, so, uh, yeah. I Teaching comes quite naturally to me and even it expands into working with adults and stuff in, in more of a volunteer capacity, so spending time teaching them. But also 
I don't know how to do anything else. So <laughs> I think it makes it easier to stick with the career. And, uh, you know, I, I've had some success with it, so I'm definitely willing to keep going. Before we finish chatting, I needed to ask Clayton a dumb question. This is just a dumb question. But sure. is it true that there's no such thing as dumb questions? No, that is an absolute myth. <laughs> uh, so, and, and look, I say this to the students. There are absolute such things as dumb questions. Usually they're the ones where the teachers actually just told you that and you weren't listening. Um, but, um, but there are definitely dumb questions out there. And you kind of just get some questions, you look at them. The secret is to make the kid feel dumb for asking it. And I look, I do tend to do okay with that. But sometimes I just let them know, that was not a great question. <laughs> so, But usually I have a good relationship with by the time I get to that point. But definitely, whoever said there's no such thing as dumb questions has was not a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank Clayton for being on the show and for honestly talking not only about the hard work and dedication required to be a teacher, but also the very real difference his job makes to future generations. If you want to know more about Clayton, he's actually an integral part of the Joy 94.9 family, presenting, producing and podcasting. So head to joy.org.au for more. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.